Acts chapter 15, we really have come as far as verse 22. Um, The boys are down in Jerusalem at this point in time. They have traveled from Antioch in Syria all the way down to Jerusalem. Antioch in Syria down to Jerusalem. By the way, that shouldn't be Palestine on there. That's a ridiculous thing. It's Israel. Uh, It was named Palestine. It's just free information. When the Romans drove the Jews out and took over in 70 AD and tore down the temple, they were so angry at the Jews they changed the name of the country from Israel to Palestine. Well, it was it was Palestina. Um, they named the country after the Philistines, who they knew were the perennial enemies of Israel and who had always been a thorn in their side. So to get even with the Jews for being so stubborn, they changed the name to Philistina or Palestina, which is Palestine. So even every Jew born in Israel before 1948, their birth certificate says Palestine. But, of course, the miracle happened. The Jews have come back to the land and renamed it Israel, as the prophet said that would take place. And the great irony is when you go to Israel today, you have an Israeli guide giving you tours of Roman ruins. That's interesting. But the the guys have traveled down to Jerusalem because certain brethren, it says, from Jerusalem, we don't know if they claim to be official in their journey, they come up to Antioch where the, the great Gentile church is, and Antioch becoming the center of our studies now rather than Jerusalem. And they tell the brethren there, you have to be circumcised, you have to keep the law of Moses if you want to be saved. And, and it turns into a big hubbub in the church. They're arguing, no doubt, uh, Paul and, and Barnabas, very forceful in their position. And then the church in Antioch says, we'll go on down to Jerusalem and meet with the apostles and the elders and come back to us with an official decision on these things. Because these guys say they're from Jerusalem. We need to know what we're doing. So... Paul and Barnabas have come down to Jerusalem. Uh, Certain of the Pharisees there that were believers uh, argued with them on certain points. Then, of course, it tells us Peter stood up first. He said, look, this happened through my ministry. Cornelius, the Gentiles, received the gospel and were filled with the Spirit just like us. And then it says, then Paul and Barnabas, or Barnabas and Paul, got up and told them all of the things that God had done through them, the miracles and the wonders in the ministry to the Gentiles. And then James, the Lord's brother, half-brother, same mom, different dad, uh, James gets up and says, look, this was written in the prophets. He, He goes not just to signs and wonders, but to the word of God. This is what the scripture said, and the scripture prophesied that the Gentiles would be gathered in as well. And uh, this is what we need to understand. So then in verse 19, we're going to begin in 22, but 19 it says, Wherefore, James speaking, my sentence is, seems an official decision, that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them, that they abstain, they hold themselves away from pollutions, 
plural of idols, from sexual immorality, which would have been one of the pollutions of idolatry, from things strangled, not bled out, and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. So as the Jews are hearing constantly what Moses said in the law, and what we need to tell the Gentiles is, and, and consider the world that they were in then, Greek and, and Roman pantheon and culture and so forth, that they stay away from pollutions of idols. These Gentiles have gotten saved out of that world. That you got saved out of the world, you got saved out. You know, you realize I can't be drugging anymore, I can't be fist fighting anymore, I can't be living in immorality anymore. These are the things. So they're, they're told you need to come out from those pollutions of idols, from sexual immorality, any sexual activity outside of the, the boundaries of, of marriage um, between a man and a woman. Um, from things strangled, which was forbidden in the, in the, in the Old Testament, because when something was strangled, which was popular in many of the cults and the idolatrous temples, because the blood wasn't drained out, and from blood itself. In some of these idolatrous practices, they would be drinking blood. So there's several things that take place here. One is, certainly it helped the Gentile and Jewish church come together because those idolatrous things would really grate on the Jews. And Paul tells us there are certain things we do so that we don't stumble our brother. Uh, but the larger picture is the church in Jerusalem says, now you need to come out of this world that you've been indoctrinated in, you've been bathed in all of these years, and if you keep yourselves from these simple things, it doesn't say you have to keep the feast, you have to keep the dietary laws, you have to be circumcised, you have to keep the law. There's none of that. It's just if you keep yourself from these idolatrous things because you've come to know the true and the living God, you do well. James says we need to communicate that to them, which brings us to 22, which is where we left off. It says, then... It pleased the apostles, the elders, notice this, with the whole church to send chosen men of their company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, whose surname was Barsabbas. Some wonder if he's Joseph, Barsabbas' brother. We don't know. And Silas chief men among the brethren. So the interesting picture here, it says it was the apostles, it was the elders, and the whole church. So evidently, as they deliberated these things, this is new in the church. This is the first big crisis. So certainly the apostles are there, then the elders of the church in Jerusalem are there, and then it seems the whole congregation is there as well to listen, because it's primarily a Jewish congregation in Jerusalem, and they need to hear this. They need to hear what God's doing among the Gentiles. They need to understand that God isn't blessing sin by bringing them in, but these now are our brethren. So it, it, there's a unanimous decision here between the apostles, the elders, and how wonderful, the whole church. Let's send with Paul and Barnabas chosen men that are respected here 
so that the church at Antioch will know that Paul and Barnabas aren't, they're not coming back with a fake letter or just, you know, trying to pull the wool over somebody's eyes. Uh, let's send chosen men with them as then they go back to Antioch. Um, so they chose Silas, which is called Silvanus in other places in the New Testament, Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, which we really know nothing else about that he's in this scene, though. And it says in verse 23, look, and they wrote letters, words, it's not numerous letters. The idea is they wrote by them after this manner. Now, this is the first New Testament epistle as we look at this here. It's interesting, in the, in the Greek, it's 309 words, and there's only 31 words that actually deal with the problem. So the, the wisdom in this, they, they give this incredible introduction, this greeting. They give this incredible way to settle the whole thing, the solution. But out of the 109 words, there's only 31 that deal with the problem. We can learn something from that. It's just concise. They don't have to give any reasons. They said, this is what we're going to see. Seem good to the Holy Ghost and us. This is the deal. And it's remarkable then. I wish we could always settle everything we get involved in here with uh, 31 words. But they wrote the letters after this manner. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of Antioch. Now, it's interesting, no doubt James is the one, though it says it's from everyone that helps oversee this, because the only other place in the New Testament where you have this word greeting is in James chapter 1, verse 1, greeting to the diaspora. So it's always with Paul, you know, grace and peace and so forth. The only other place we have this word in an introduction to a letter is from James, so it seems his influence here is obvious. And he says this, greeting unto the brethren which are of the church of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. So James, you know, he's the austere one. James is the one, um, I think it's Eusebius that said he had never eaten meat. He was a vegetarian. The early church fathers tell us how he spent eight to nine hours a day on his knees to where his knees were deformed. Of course, he was spending time with his older brother, you know, uh, for those hours. How remarkable. And again, we mentioned last week, I think if you want to know Jesus, what color was his eyes? You can ask James. If you'd ask him what made him smile, you could ask James. You ask him what was his favorite flower, yeah, ask James. You ask him, did he like grain? Did he like snow? Did he like the summer? You can ask James. Imagine James growing up, the second oldest in the house, uh, Joseph being his natural father and Mary his mother, but growing up with this older brother in the house. And then, of course, he thinks that he's lost his mind. It mentions that in the Gospels. He's beside himself. And then finally, Jesus appears to him after the resurrection, his own brother. And, of course, James is then 
a believer in Acts chapter 1 where it lists the 120 that are gathered in the upper, upper room, it mentions Mary and the brethren of our Lord as well. So we know Jude, his brother wrote the book of Jude. We're told that Simeon becomes the head of the church in Jerusalem. We can be dogmatic church history after James passes off the scene. Um, so, so just interesting, four boys plus Jesus, five boys, sisters, plural, at least two girls, Mary and Joseph, at least nine people in a one-room house. Uh, remarkable that Jesus came in to our world in every way. All of the dynamics of siblings and banging your heads and kids in the house and, you know, you know, Mary always saying, why can't you be like your older brother? You know, well, he, he finally realized why when Jesus rose from the dead. But uh, now James puts this to the page. And the interesting thing is James, when you read his epistle, there's over 50 imperatives, almost every other verse. James throughout says, this has to happen. This has to happen. This has to happen. Of course, because he listened to the ministry of his brother. He, he couldn't stand, you know, his Jesus. He listened to him. Couldn't stand the legalistic restraints of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. So James plays with none of that. He heard his brother talk about hypocrisy. So he just says, look, you, conversion, it produces good works. Not that they save. James just, there's no baloney at all in James as in regards to his personality and the way it comes across. And 19 times in the book of James, he uses the word brethren, which he uses here. Because he understood that Jesus was not only his brother, but he was joint heirs with the believers. That in their heart, they cried, Abba, Father, as well. And through the epistle, he says, brethren, brethren, brethren. So here, James in the church in Jerusalem begins in a fashion that's only ascribed to him, greeting, he says here, and he says this, unto the brethren. These are Gentiles. Remarkable the way he includes them. Unto the brethren, which are of the Gentiles, in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. He says now the, the, the charge, for as much as we have heard, that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. So James, right off the bat, man, he hits it right off the bat. He says, look, we have heard that there are certain brethren who claim to have come out from us, and they have troubled you with words. That's always the problem, isn't it? Too much of that still goes on, doesn't it? People are either being troubled by words or blessed by words, but words, James will say, you know, that the, the tongue is set on fire of hell. He, he would know that, you know. Um, here he says, we have heard that you have been troubled with words. And again, you and I, Sometimes I think we don't realize I don't. Sometimes I say something and, I, and it comes back to me years later and the person said, well, all this time I thought, I wasn't even thinking that. I didn't mean that. So, you know, caution, being led of the Spirit. 
He said, you've been troubled with words, and those words were subverting your soul. Interesting to look that word subverting up. It means to move furniture. It means to put a load on somebody. It means to weigh them down so they can't bear up under the weight. He, he said, these men with words were weighing down your souls to where you couldn't even bear what they were putting on you. When we've heard about it, and, and in that they said, you must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses, which Peter said, neither we nor our fathers were able to bear that yoke, you know. So why are we going to put it on the Gentiles? And he says, to whom we, the apostles, no doubt, gave no such commandment. That's false teaching. And it's false teaching today. Jesus and Jesus and circumcision, Jesus and you know, the law, Jesus and and so many ministries today. And many times it's misbelievers, not disbelievers. But it's Jesus and. Jesus and you need to do this. Jesus and you need to do that. Jesus. No, it's either Jesus or ain't nothing at all. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. To tell us I paid in full. He didn't say, well, look, I've done my part. 95%. The next 5% is up to you. Hope to see you in heaven. No, no. No, it's, and, and Kathy and I, for years, were in a Jesus and ministry. You had to do shepherding. You had to submit to the elders. Uh, there were positive confession. You, you had to confess, you know, what you're doing. The head of the ministry said he was an apostle. And uh, if you were sick or you're broke, it's because there was either sin in your life or you lacked faith. So we stayed there till we were sick and broke, and then we left. Because there wasn't any of that stuff going on in our lives. And uh, I realized how stupid we were. And I kind of did, it was good. It was seminary because I kind of determined at that point, I'm never going to say anything again unless I can find it in the book. So it's, it says, they weighed you down. We didn't, we didn't partake in this. We gave no such commandment. It seemed good... Unto us, being assembled with one accord. I really like that. These are the apostles, and it seemed good. Unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Isn't that interesting? It's so filial. James, as anyone, understands the miracle of being brethren under one father and being brothers and joint heirs with Christ. He, and now he says, he's sending back to the church of Antioch in the letter from Jerusalem, our beloved Barnabas and Paul, shutting the mouths of the those there, trying to bring them under the law. He says, these are men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. First time in the New Testament, our Lord Jesus Christ is recorded. All of those Lord Jesus Christ put together. And he's talking about the first missionary journey. They had hazarded their lives. In some ways, James hasn't seen that. Now, James, of course, 
in Jerusalem, the, the religious leaders rose up there and persecuted the early church. But James himself, as he listened, he must have thought, this is amazed. They did this what? And they did this here. Then they stoned you and left for dead. And after the guy was healed and, you know, James is listening to this. You know, they traveled, you know, 600 miles one way, 600 miles back on foot and by sea. And then finally coming down to Jerusalem, 300 miles they walked. Probably took them a month as they stopped in other churches. And James just must have been amazed thinking he you know he must have listened to to these guys at these meetings and gone home and fallen on his knees and said brother you know lord what you're doing among the gentiles is unbelievable you know i i remember you said things like that i never it's 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 coming to fruition it's happening you know how remarkable he said he says they have hazarded their lives in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. So you're going to receive this letter. You're going to see what's written in it. We don't want you to think that Paul and Barnabas scribbled this down somewhere out in the woods and brought it back. So we sent Silas and, and uh, Jude with to come with and to affirm the very things that we're telling you. So you got these two outstanding brethren from Jerusalem that evidently had a reputation come back with them to affirm to the church this letter is from the apostles and the church in Jerusalem. Now it's continuing this epistle. And, and this is remarkable to me in verse 28. Again, he says, he said it seemed good in verse 25, but now he says it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. What kind of a meeting was that? To lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. I think how different the New Testament church was than so much of what goes on today. You know, the New Testament church, everything they did fell in line with Scripture because it was the Holy Ghost. It wasn't the culturally relevant ghost it wasn't the cool ghost. It was the Holy Ghost. And he, he had inspired the scripture. And if the church de today would realize, you know, uh, is it okay? Should there be choice or should there be life? Well, if you make your decision and it seems good to the Holy Ghost, only one of those works. Sex. Should I be able to sleep with the person that I love outside of marriage? Well, if it won't seem good to the Holy Ghost unless it's in keeping with what the Scripture says about immorality. And if you're living like that, it don't seem good to the Holy Ghost, I'm telling you. You think of the decisions that the church is making at their conventions around the world today. Should we ordain homosexuals? Do we, you know... Do we do this with choice? Uh, is Israel God's chosen people? Is there inerrancy? Is the Bible inerrant? You know, these guys could say it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. James in his epistles is going to say wisdom from above is first pure, then it's peaceable, 
It's easily entreated. It works out the right way when it's wisdom from above. Jesus in John 16 said there, the Holy Ghost, when he comes, will lead you into all truth. He'll take the things that belong to me and he'll reveal them to you. So here, you think what part of the church, and we wish it was like that today in so many ways, they have a meeting and the Holy Ghost is the primary person at the meeting with them as they gather. And they're able to say to this church at Antioch, it seemed good to the Holy Ghost. What was that, what was that like? They were praying, they were talking, and they must have said, yeah, it seems, how's it seem to you, Peter? You know, how's it seem? It seems peaceable. I, I really feel good about this. I think it's the Holy Spirit. So much so that they were able to write this. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain, you keep yourself away from meats offered to idols. Now, it, it said in, uh, in verse 20, pollutions of idols. So it's still the same contract. Con, the, the context is idolatry. That you abstain from meats offered to idols. Because a lot of the marketplace would be their meats that had been offered for sacrifice in the pagan temples. And from blood and things strangled, which all was in step with that. And from fornication, so much of the time involved with idolatry in this culture. The, the great temples in Ephesus and in Corinth, a thousand temple prostitutes that would come down into the city every night and peddle themselves with the men there. And they considered that acceptable worship and so forth. Here, the, the church in Jerusalem with the elders and with the apostles saying, here are these things. Just keep yourself away from idolatry. Meats offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled. In fact, um, one of the church fathers said that demons loved strangled offerings. Uh, I think it was Oregon, which you can't trust everything he said, but he, he made commentary in the early, the way they saw some of these things. Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians that you're sacrificing to idols. He says, and from fornication, sexual sin, the Bible's clear about that. There's no choice. It's not a Victorian idea. It's, it's an eternal idea, which if you keep yourselves, the idea is if you... Stay away, you shall do well. Not you'll be saved, they're already saved. You want to flourish spiritually, you want to grow, you want to become stronger. If you do these necessary things, you shall do well. Fare ye well is the close, and it's just kind of blessings. You know, bless you is kind of the way that, that fare ye well pairs out in the Greek. So it says then, so when they were dismissed... Paul, Barnabas, Silas, Judas, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered, notice this, the multitude together, they delivered the epistle. The great church in Antioch is called a multitude. So again, you have these guys making their journey overland from south of here, about here where Jerusalem is, up 
you know, through whatever area they chose to Antioch. So you imagine they're traveling again over 300 miles, no doubt by foot. Uh, does this take, again, 20 to 30, is it 20 days instead of a month because they're more excited to get back? I don't know. But you have to imagine Paul and Barnabas, and Barnabas was a Levite, and James and the brethren knew about Saul of Tarsus, how he had gotten saved. And they're talking with Silas and Judas, this whole, what was that fellowship like? What took place in those conversations for a month? You can imagine. We're told that Silas and Judas were prophets. So Paul loved this. You can imagine that Barnabas, you know, their conversations with these men in this long journey on their way back to Antioch. And it says, so when they were dismissed from the church in Jerusalem, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered, I love this, the multitude together, they delivered the epistle. You know, some people say, well, I don't like a big church. Well, don't go to Antioch then, you know. Uh, you know, people will complain here sometimes. The church is too big. And I think, well, why would you bring your friends? We were 20 people. We were happy when we started. It's not my fault. This is a multitude gathered together in the church in Antioch, which when they had read, they, the church in Antioch, the multitude rejoiced, because of the consolation, I guess so. The gospel is good news. They don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to keep the law of Moses. They rejoice as they receive word from Jerusalem. And Judas and Silas, being prophets, also themselves exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. So they're in Antioch. For a while, Jerusalem and Antioch are reconciled. There's no distance between the great Jewish church in Jerusalem with the disciples of our Lord, the apostles, and the Gentile church in Antioch and those now spread across Syria and Pisidian Antioch and so forth. There, there's no, they're reconciled now. They're one. And uh, how remarkable for them. They realize we're on the right track. It's okay for us to do this. You know, we're not under the law. There's a, you don't have to keep this and keep that and keep this to walk with Christ. And it says that these prophets, Silas and Judas, they remained there and they exhorted them. You know, the New Testament isn't written yet. This letter is part of the New Testament, which is written. But there's exhortation. They're no doubt taking many passages from the Old Testament. They're exhorting them with many words and confirmed them. Answered questions. You imagine the congregation. Well, what of this? Well, these guys, where are these guys anyway? There's no evidence that whoever troubled them in the first place went down to Jerusalem with them. By now, they might have you know, hightailed it out of there as official representatives from Jerusalem come there. And it says... These prophets exhorted the brethren. They spent time there. And with many words, they confirmed them. They assured them, yes, you're accepted. You're part of the church. And after they had tarried there a space, doesn't tell us how big that space was, they were let go in peace. The idea is the church in Jerusalem had let them go to go to Antioch. The same responses here, the church sends them. There's a blessing. They were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles back to Jerusalem. Now, verse 34, 
says, notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Um, it's not. It's not in all the manuscripts. Um, it's included in Biza, it's included in the Sum. So some scholars try to say, well, some scribe put verse 34 in there because Paul is going to leave with Silas and, and uh, Barnabas is going to go with Mark and they're going to split up, so Silas had to be there. Well, he didn't have to be there. Uh, it doesn't say John Mark was there at this point either. They could have been both back in Jerusalem. Uh, we don't know. Um, I'm I'm kind of admire the guys who put the King James together. They didn't have a contract with Holman or you know uh, Zondervan. They didn't have to have it done by a certain day. These guys had manuscripts that we don't have privy out today. Uh, they fasted, they prayed, and when their translations were done, they switched the New Testament to the Old Testament committee and the Old Testament to the New Testament committee. And then they you know, raked over that with fasting and prayer again. So, and the Geneva Bible had been written again, which manuscripts that had been in Byzantium, when the Muslims came and took over, the brethren there fled and brought them, you know. Uh, so there were ancient manuscripts there as well that we, we don't, you know, have particular access to today that affected the same translation in um, the Geneva Bible as well. So King James has it there. It's fine with me. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there. If he went back to Jerusalem, that's fine with me too. Uh, Don't stop and argue there. It's not worth it. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch Now, very interesting, they were teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So teaching and preaching, certainly that's their heart, they're evangelists. So they want to be preaching the word of the Lord. That's your approach to the lost. Preaching is for the lost, teaching is for the saved. You know, the church, after they've been preached to, people are converted to Christ, then they need to be taught, then they need to be fed, then they need to grow. And uh, it says both of those things are transpiring here. They are preaching the word of God. They are teaching the word of God there in Antioch. No doubt the surrounding districts as well. What we wonder is, Paul will give us this situation in Galatians, and it seems to fall in here at this point. It says, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, before certain brethren came from James, he, Peter, did eat with the Gentiles. Pork roll, you know, uh, I could go on, you know, Italian sausage, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when certain brethren came from James, he withdrew himself and separated himself. Withdrew means to trim your sails. It's an interesting nautical word. Peter there on the Sea of Galilee his whole life. And separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So Peter just helped make the decision in Jerusalem. And then when he's, when he's put on the line and these brethren come from James, again, he, he's still, you know, he's still bending there, not thinking, you know, 
what to do, but Saul of Tarsus, of course, Paul, because he worked among the Gentiles and loved them, he withstood Peter to the face. And he says, And other Jews dissembled, they were drawn away with him, likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. And Paul's saying, what hypocrisy, Barnabas, you know, you're listening to, to, we were just in Jerusalem with James, with all the apostles, and Peter's kind of knuckling under here, and everybody's going with him. And it says, but when I saw, Paul says, that they walk not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, if thou being a Jew livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, now why are you compelling thou the Gentiles to live as the Jews? If you had the freedom to be here, not under the law, what are you doing now withdrawing? He says, you're not walking, the King James says here, when I saw that they did not walk uprightly, it's interesting, the Greek word is is orthopedeo, orthopedist today, orthopedics, ortho, straight, podeo, podiatrist, foot. He said, I saw you weren't walking straight-footedly, limping. They were walking with a limp. They were doing, and he says, because you weren't walking according to the truth of the gospel. You can't say one thing. We can't write this letter and give it to the church. Then you come here, Peter. You're hanging out with everybody. You know, you're eating brujute. You're having a great time, and uh, all of a sudden these guys come from James, and you trim your sails, you pull back, and, and your influence is that other Jewish believers there kind of followed your lead. You're Peter. And even Barnabas was shaken by this, so Paul said, I had to withstand him at that point publicly. This is somewhere in this time period right here, where Paul and Barnabas continued in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. We believe that was at least a six-month period, if not longer. And some days after, Paul now says to Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord. And using the word brethren, as James did, he says to Barnabas, let's go. Let's let's head back through, you know, Cyprus and, you know, all of these Pisidian Antioch and Lystra and Derby and all these places we are. Let's go see how the brethren are doing. And you, you can imagine these two guys. Now, Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname is Mark, who is... Barnabas's sister's son, so many say he's a cousin, the scripture seems to indicate he's a nephew, but Paul thought it not good to take with him um, who departed from them a Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So there's this dispute that comes up now, it's a famous dispute, sad, no doubt, um, Paul and Barnabas, yeah, and you, you think, I don't believe it's it, the Greek indicates it gets heated, but I don't believe these two guys are screaming and cursing each other. They're not, you know, grabbing each other by the robe, falling on the floor, pounding each other. They're not heated the way you and I would. These these are spiritual men, but I believe the debate was heated between them, 
And you think, this is incredible, because for these two to separate, you know, Barnabas, the son of consolation, is, is good for John Mark, who had failed. Then he's going to hand him off to Peter, who had heard the rooster crow, and said, kid, you think you blew it, you know. Uh, he's going to become Peter's disciple. Um, and, and Paul's going to end up with Silas. Does he come back from Jerusalem or had he remained there? But to see these two part, look, Barnabas was the one in chapter 11 that had gotten Paul and brought him to Jerusalem and convinced James and John and Peter that he was legit. Barnabas was the one who had established him there. Barnabas was the one that went to Tarsus when the church in Antioch was growing and searched for Paul and brought him with him to the church at Antioch. They've known each other over 10 years at this point in time. And in those 10 years, we know they have labored together six to seven years at least. They have been beat up together. They've, been make, they've made these journeys through Gentile territory together on ships, walking. You know, they have walked to Jerusalem together and rejoiced hearing what the apostles said. They've come back with Silas and Judas. You think of the time and the depth between these two guys, and it's so interesting to see them part here and not agree. You know, and the, and the scripture asks us for unity, not unanimity. Doesn't mean that we all have to agree on every single thing. Certainly, doctrine, there's never unity at the stake of doctrine. That's never God's will. But there's room for individuality, there's room for us to be different. I, I think it was right for Barnabas to take John Mark. And I think it was right for Paul to refuse him. It doubled the missionary endeavor. It did that. But Barnabas had this attitude. That's why he's called Barnabas by the apostles, the son of consolation. He just had that knack to get under somebody's skin and draw them in the right direction. And to Barnabas, he must have said, look, he blew it. I agree. But I'm telling you, there's something good in that kid. And Paul said, Barnabas, I'm sickly. When I could have really used this kid's help, he bailed out, went back to his mommy's house in Jerusalem. You know, come on, cut me a break. And they went back and forth. And Paul must have said, look, we got the approval of Jerusalem now. We got this letter to take to the Gentile churches. We can't afford to take him with. We don't know if he's going to bail on us again. His estimate of how important the work was, whether it was hardship or, or danger, whatever it was. So there's now this contest between them. And it says it grew so sharp. There was such, you know, dissension between them. It got heated enough that I believe they agreed. I believe Paul finally said, all right, take him. You go to Cyprus. That's, you know, you're started. Um, I'm going to take Silas, and I'm going to go overland. And by the way, Paul doesn't take Silas to replace John Mark. Paul takes Silas to replace Barnabas. Silas must be quite a man. I think Barnabas does the right thing with John Mark. As we come to Colossians, Paul writing from prison 
says in the end, chapter 4, verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom you receive commandments, that if he comes to you, Paul says, receive him. So there was reconciliation. When Paul signs off in his swan song, Second Timothy, he says there only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for this ministry. So thank God that Barnabas held on to him. He would be with Barnabas in different circumstances. He would no doubt end up with Peter. We're not sure how long, because Peter, in his first epistle, um, as he kind of, in the end, he says, he says, by Silvanus, to him be glory and glory forever, amen. By Silvanus, Silas, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. The church that is in Babylon, elect together with you, saluteth you. And so doth Marcus, my son. So we don't know if Peter is in literal Babylon at that point in time, which some in you know, Iraq claim that there are churches that date back to when Peter was there, or whether he's addressing Rome as Babylon. That's an argument um, you can settle. Um, we won't divide and go in separate directions over it. But you have Peter calling Mark his son spiritually. And no doubt Peter was the one who talked to him about how he denied the Lord how the Lord had come to him and restored him. He must have said, son, the work is important, and, and, and I know Paul. And uh, spent time with him in Jerusalem. And, you know, he, he, he never, he was always like this. This is the way God made him. God made you one way. God made him that way. I'm thankful that your uncle Barnabas got a hold of you and brought you along. Um, Paul now is mentioning you and, and uh, telling the saints to respect you. And John Mark then will finally sit and put his quill to the page and write the second gospel, the gospel of Mark, which to me is just one of my favorites. It's a series of photos. It's a Kodak moment, each scene. It's so remarkable. I love the the gospel of Mark. So here, there is a contention. I think what we need to learn here is this is right after Paul and Barnabas settled the contention in Antioch. Now they got one between them that they don't know they can settle, remarkably. Um, I think sometimes, like Barnabas, we can be tender. And I think sometimes, like Paul, we can be, you know, austere. But I think the warning is our tenderness can never deteriorate into compromise. And if we're austere, like we're serious, that can never deteriorate into legalism. There is a measure of tenderness that's necessary in the church because of our humanness. There is a measure of toughness, austereness that's necessary in the church because of our humanness. And both of these men were absolutely who God had made them to be. And Jesus is not surprised when this day comes. So it tells us 
Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark, and I believe that was right for him. And Paul thought not good to take him with because he had departed from them in Pamphylia at a critical point in the work and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp, that word means heated, between them that they departed asunder. They decided to go in different directions, one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and he sailed to Cyprus, which is where, remember, Barnabas is from. He has a burden for that island. I believe Paul said, great, you go, you know, to Cyprus. And you see on the map there, in their first missionary journey, they had gone from Antioch to Cyprus. That's what they do. And it's going to tell us that Paul and Silas go north to this area here, the Sicilian gates and so forth, and up to, you know, Iconium and Lystra and Derby. They go overland, so they take two different routes. And I believe Paul probably said to Barnabas, all right, look, you take them, go back to, you know, Cyprus, tell everybody I said hi, you know. In the churches, tell, tell the governor we said hi. Tell the saucer if he can see these days, I said hi. You go back there, and it says, but Paul chose Silas. And I think they must have been kindred spirits. Silas is also a Hellenist by his name. We're told further on that he has Roman citizenship. So he's a perfect matchup for Paul because they're gone in the Gentile territories. He no doubt was fluent in Greek as well as Paul. So, and, and he's a prophet. Paul must love that, you know. So it says that Paul chose Silas. Did he have to come back from Jerusalem? Did they send word? Or, or as 34 says, if it's legit, did he ha- happen to stay there? Paul chose Silas and departed. But now look at the difference. It says Paul and Silas departed, no doubt with the letter from Jerusalem, and I have no doubt that Barnabas and Mark also took a copy of that letter. Paul chose Silas and departed, it says, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. So it seems, we're not told, we know for sure the church at Antioch stood behind Paul and Silas and their endeavor and recommend them. They improved of them. It doesn't say that about Barnabas and Mark. Hard for me to believe that the church was, you know, disapproved of a missionary endeavor. But it seems the official endorsement in the situation, it comes by the brethren to Paul and to Silas. And they committed them then to the grace of God And then it says he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. And that next week, if the Lord tarries, will be our study. Paul and Silas from Antioch go overland to Cilicia, uh, to Antioch and Pisidia. They go through Lystra and Derbe, back to the churches that they had founded. They go this way, overland, through all these churches um, from Antioch, um, Barnabas, and Mark sailed to Cyprus. It doesn't tell us how long they're there. And in this scene, it's the last mention of Barnabas uh, in the book of Acts. He's gone after that. It's the last time we see him. 
and uh, the Holy Spirit through Luke follows uh, Paul and Silas on their journeys from here on in. In chapter 16, Luke is going to write, and we, so we see he'll be joined to Paul and Silas. We went here for the first time. So Luke, you know, put together these records up to this point in time, talking to witnesses, talking to those in Jerusalem about the meetings and so forth. He's a great chronologer. God uses this man who went to uh, the Collegium Architorium in, in uh, Rome, who studied for years to be a doctor. He was fluent in languages. He's the perfect one, you know, to accompany Paul because of Paul's physical disabilities. But to write this letter, too, as he wrote, obviously, Luke, the gospel, and then he writes the book of Acts. Uh, he's the Gentile writer in the New Testament. If he did write Hebrews, some try to say that, then he wrote the majority of the New Testament. I think Paul wrote it, but we're not going to separate over that and go in different directions. Um, so read ahead. Next week we're going to come back to Lystra, and there's a young man there. It says that the church commends unto Paul. He's a disciple. His name is Timotheus, Timothy. Uh, he comes on board, by the way, remember, after Titus. Titus was went with Paul to Jerusalem to the conference there. Timothy begins to travel with him after that. Uh, and we're going to see this journey now with Silas. We're going to see Luke join himself. We're going to see Paul and Silas go into Europe. The gospel spreads across to Philippi. And we see this remarkable thing that begins to happen. So tonight, uh, I think it's wise for the church to get together when there's a critical issue that can affect everybody it's good for the elders, the pastors, the church to gather sometimes to look at those things. It's much better to have a dialogue than a fistfight. Okay? And I think that there are some times that there's legitimate reason to go in separate directions. And God even uses our humanness to get that accomplished at times. And I think when we do that, it shouldn't be with the spirit of unforgiveness or judgment because we're going to see Paul reconciled to Mark and say that he's valuable to me in his last days in the ministry. Um, I think we need to be careful not to lay anything upon us. I'll say to you, there's some necessary things. Stay away from idols. Stay away from idolatry. I don't want to hear any of your drinking blood. Uh, I don't want to hear any of you spending time with temple prostitutes. I mean, this is just good advice, okay? Uh, and then you won't stumble, stumble anybody. But there's a legalism that wants to put sometimes a burden upon us. That, that from the book, book of Acts, the Holy Spirit and the apostles stood against that. No one has any right to lay something on you that's not in the Bible. And if they do, you just say, show me. I'm open. Show me. Chapter and verse. Show me what this thing that you're saying. Show me in here. Um, and I think we need to be wise. Because, look, Christians can either backslide or they can front slide. If you backslide, it's into sin and compromise. If you front slide, it's into legalism. But we tend to zigzag across the road on both sides in our journey. 
So there's great things established here. I think there are things for our own heart. Let's stand. We'll pray together. We'll lift our voices and our hearts to the Lord with the last song. Read ahead, the second missionary journey. We'll be working with a map and the laser next week, burning holes in the wall. Father, we thank you for these things. And Lord, the accuracy of this record, we, and, and we, we think you recorded these things because you wanted us to have them. So, Lord, by your spirit, show us what to do with them. Show us it isn't just to come once a week to a study. I know you want us to deal with these things on Thursday and Friday and Saturday, Lord. You want us to deal with these things in our pilgrimage, Lord, as we're coming home. Show us as individual individuals why you put these things to the page, why you preserved them of all of the details that could have been written, Lord. These are the things you wanted us to have. Let that be dear to us, Lord. Let it be precious to us. And unless you do it, it'll never happen. So we look to you, Lord. This is your word. It is divine. Lord, you tell us it divides down between soul and spirit, between bone and marrow, Lord. All the way down to the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Lord, Paul said in... Thessalonians that is is effectual, that it works. He told us in Isaiah that it accomplishes. Jesus told us your word is truth. Father, and said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So let us have that. Let us collect these things to our heart. Let us realize how profound and supernatural, Lord, the details, the descriptions, the things you put to the page, and teach us how we might, Lord, apply those things to our own lives. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name and for your glory. Amen.